Gospel of John. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll pick up in verse 17. Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had, that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Father, once again, as we look at these verses, I pray that you would make them real and applicable to our lives, that, Father, you would show us the magnitude of who you are and all that you're able to do. And so, Father, as we have given our lives to you, we see, Father, that they are kept by you for your glory and for all eternity. And because of that, Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So far, we've seen a couple of things. In verses 5 and 6, we saw, we looked at this last couple of weeks, that Jesus loved, and he made a point of telling us this, that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. When we go through trials, when we go through hardship, we at times can doubt the love of God. But we're told in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so made a point of telling us that because of what transpired next and that he hears about Lazarus' sickness, but when he found out, he was troubled, but he waited. We looked at the delays of God and saw that they are for God's reasons and God's purposes. He doesn't always work according to our will, not according to our time frame. God, we saw, is not indifferent and he is not preoccupied He's in the midst of our situations and circumstances. He's always doing a work. But again, these things occur in his perfect timing. See, in the seventh day, God rested. But in the eighth day, he went back to work. He went back to work and he continues to move and minister in our lives. God's delays, we saw, are delays of love. Now here, God's going to do obvious work in Lazarus, but he wants to do work in so many different facets. He's going to work in Mary's life, definitely going to do a work in Martha's life, as we'll see here tonight. And those who are witnessing what was going on, it says many in the, in the next chapter, chapter 12, many come to belief because of what Christ did in Lazarus' life, and even ministering to us here tonight and those throughout the church age. There's a reason that Jesus delayed, and it's to do a work in the lives of so many people. In verses 7 and 8, we saw the disciples, they were concerned, but they were concerned for their own lives. But Jesus, in essence, told them that the priority is the lives of those who are perishing, all of mankind. He must go down to Jerusalem. He must go to that area where he knows people are seeking after him to do him harm. In verses 12 through 16, we see that 
they completely misunderstand everything that is going on. Important for us to see, because we ought not to expect, not that they were unbelievers then, but they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. And we'll speak of spiritual things, and we'll sometimes be surprised when family and friends either don't understand or flat out reject what we're having to say, it's because they don't have the Holy Spirit. But we do have the Holy Spirit, and our prayer for those who seem so hard-hearted is that the Holy Spirit would give them understanding that they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Now, I had the opportunity to do the invocation last Tuesday at our city council meeting. It's just an opening prayer, short opening prayer. Usually what I do is I go up there, I'll say a few things, because I always say a few things, I'll read some scripture, and then I'll I'll pray. It's probably about two minutes or so. And I I always leave there thinking, did I say something wrong? Or, because there's like this eerie silence. And I turn, because you walk walk down at at the podium there, and the city council is all standing there, and everybody's kind of behind you, and you say, and you turn around, and, and, and nobody really looks at you, and... You know, they kind of ignore you. I I make a a point of praying for our first responders. I pray for our police, especially since we see all that's going on in our community today. And I pray for the firefighters. And there's a lot of police and firefighters, and they don't even look at me. I don't think I'm that ugly, but they don't understand. You know, I, I don't know who's a believer and who isn't a believer, and I don't look at each individual, but nonetheless... There's just always going to be that disconnect. I was just talking to Dwight in children's ministry. You know, and it, it's, it's really a blessing when we're rejected, because when we're rejected, you know that you're hitting close to the heart. And again, you know, for instance, we're coming up on Christmas. If you go and speak of salvation, the necessity of salvation by Santa Claus, they would just laugh at you, smile, and walk away. But when you tell them of the necessity of salvation through Jesus Christ, it's then that a nerve is hit. Why? Because they know Santa Claus is a fantasy, and they know, they may not admit it, but they know the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so understanding, it's the utmost necessity to have the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27. He said, when the helper, or the parakletos, this is the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witnesses because you have been with me from the beginning. So this is the helper who understands the truth of Christ, that we bear witness of Jesus Christ, for all of the world. And so again, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit comes upon us as we ask him for the purpose of the work of ministry, but the Holy Spirit does do a work out there in the world as he convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the threefold work of the Holy Spirit. As I understand this, I see the Holy Spirit working in my life. I see Well, contrary to my flesh and who I used to be, I see that I have a love and care and concern for the brethren. I have a desire for things spiritual. I'm convicted of sins that I used to do so freely. All evidences of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. Now I see the Holy Spirit that has come upon me as, not just because I'm a pastor, but just as a Christian, as I'm able to do things of a spiritual nature that were just kind of beyond me and seeing the Spirit working through me and into the lives of somebody else. And again, seeing that work of the Holy Spirit as I speak the gospel, as I share the word with somebody, seeing that conviction, 
as they're convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Remember what that prophet of our day, or at least a few days past, few years past, J. Vernon McGee used to say, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one who yelps is the one who got hit. And it's true. It's the one who comes against you is the one who was convicted by what you say. And so we need to see the value of those who come up against us. You understand that God's doing a work there. Because we all, to some degree, used to be that same way, contrary to the gospel of Christ, and didn't really much care because it made us feel uncomfortable when we shared it. My father, I've mentioned it before, the night he told me he had cancer, I read uh, a verse to him, and later on, a few weeks later, I just um, it was right after he had surgery, tapped me on the leg and says, Michael, don't read me anymore out of the Bible. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, for him, it was a good thing because it led to his salvation. And so, yeah, we need to go out there and disturb people. Not do it in the flesh. There's enough people disturbing people in the flesh. Look at the elections. We need to disturb them in the spirit. And so that's the Holy Spirit working through us. And so we need to realize as we study John chapter 11 that Jesus is setting the stage as he leads up to the miracle of the raising of Lazarus so that we know and that we understand that he is Lord, Lord over our lives, but how much more so, Lord over the days of our death. So first, in putting together this mystery of death, delay, and decision, the scriptures, at least the section that we have here tonight, they're going to be focusing on Martha. Martha... Martha is a picture of the majority of the people that physically attend church. I'm going to look at Martha from the perspective that she's saved, but nonetheless not walking very strongly with the Lord and not really understanding everything that's going on because she's never completely, she's never totally entered in. And so there's two things that are apparent about her. First, she does have a relationship with Jesus. So again, I kind of looking at her from the perspective of being saved because we were told, what was it in verse 4, that Jesus does love her. Verse 5, that Jesus does love her. And secondly, this is a woman who has no peace about her. She's disturbed, but she's disturbed from the standpoint of ignorance and unbelief unbelief in the magnitude of who God is, or who Christ is, and what Christ is able to do. And so there's lessons here. Matter of fact, although this was orchestrated by the hand of God that we did see earlier in verse 4, but specifically I think it's for, for Martha. Generally it's for us all, but we see that it's Martha that Christ seems to truly be pursuing. Her relationship, again, we look at her from the standpoint of being saved, but she continues to stand at the threshold of salvation. You probably know a lot of people like that. Maybe you've been a person like that. Maybe you are a person like that. You've got saved, but you're still at the threshold. You've never really entered in. You've never really entered into the Bible in that you're ignorant of the majority of the Bible, where the different books are and what is said and why what is said, what is said in the scriptures. You never really entered into fellowship. I had a meeting today and I was talking to somebody and she said, she was sitting in the back and she says, you know, I kind of see people, you know, you're still even teaching. It's towards the end of service and people are walking out. And yeah, that's, I'm thinking about that. And I, I do notice, I mean, there's some people who serve, who, who leave a little bit early and, 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 all, you know, and all that. But nonetheless, you know, there, there's some people who just don't enter in. They come to do their time. And so they'll come after worship has started, maybe even close to worship being finished. Talking about a Sunday morning, I know people are working and coming late on a Thursday night. But they, they, they come and, and they're avoiding all the people beforehand, human interaction, 
they stay because they're doing their time, and then they leave early because, again, they're avoiding the human interaction. Well, the human human interaction is an integral part of what Christianity is. It's how we get built up in the Lord. Human interaction is how God speaks to me. It's how he speaks to you. Human interaction is the hugs that we receive, the slap on the back, the prayers, the the words of encouragement. Those are from God. If we're people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, those actions are from God. And so, why do we serve donuts here at church? Why do we have coffee here at church? Why do we have carrot cake? And I can't remember the other thing that Rose said she was going to make tonight. It's to get people to put the brakes on and to stay and to hang for a while for the purpose of ministering to them. That's why I encourage you, the church, if you're out there and you see somebody standing by themselves, break away from your clique or the people who you're usually with. Step outside of yourself, approach them, and talk to them. Maybe you're going to be, maybe God's going to be, you're going to be the avenue that God works through into that person's life that day because God wants them to enter in. What brings you into a church? Well, there's the dynamic of the church. I like to believe it's the word of God. There's going to be the personality of the pastor. Believe it or not, I'm sure there's some people who have come here and said, I can't deal with that guy. But, you know, there's going to be that personality of, of me. There's going to be the personality of the parking people. But really, it's going to be the relationships that are developed through fellowship. That's what's really going to make it home. God uses that to bring people in and to keep people there. Do we keep each other accountable? What happened? I haven't seen you in a while. And so we have this intimate fellowship, but it's all about for the purpose of bringing people in. It's why we have a men's retreat. Bring people into the fabric of the body of Christ. Why we have women's events, small groups, and all of these things. And so... We have Martha, again, she's just kind of standing at the threshold, and it's the worst thing that is keeping her from crossing that threshold into a productive Christian life. It's really her own intellect. She professes faith, but has the desire that her will be accomplished above God's. She's always telling Christ what he needs to do, what he should have done. She's always the one who's saying what other people should be doing. I mean, she's using this kind of to keep her... Well, to keep her arms length, she's conducting her life according to her own understanding. She, this is a woman who is of the works mindset, but she's always frustrated, especially frustrated when they're not acknowledged. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, but Martha was distracted. When it says distracted, in the original language, it means that she was over-occupied. She was, over, she was worked to the point that it wasn't good. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help. But we saw the picture. Where was her sister Mary? She was at the feet of the Lord. To sit at somebody's feet is to sit at the position of learning and gleaming from him. So Mary was at the better place. Martha Martha was at the place of her own will. Her service, it's good to serve without a doubt, but you can so easily cross a line when your service starts to be service either to that event for that reason or for self, but it's no longer to Christ. When it no longer comes to service to Christ, then you are serving in the flesh. And that which has started in the flesh will have to be maintained in the flesh and will fail in the flesh. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So if we are truly in understanding that we are serving the Lord, then our service is not going to be this frustration. So Martha is somebody who trusts of herself and leans on her own understanding, but we see such a person has absolutely no peace. So no peace, no confidence. She's quick to offer advice, but never really reports to duty. Are you like that? So willing to tell God what needs to be done and how it needs to be done, rather than say, here I am, Lord, use me. And that's what God expects. He's not looking for our advice. I mean, can you imagine how limited our advice is in the presence of God? He who has knowledge of everything, and we think that we have a better way? In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, or looking at the example of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Talking about the finish line. What was Christ's finish line? It was the cross. It was because of that, though, that I could look to something better. I can look, my finish line is to be in the, our finish line is to be in the presence of the Lord. That should excite us, but also that should cause us to fall into place behind the Lord in obedience to what he has called, called us to do and who he has called us to be. And so Jesus has some things to tell us concerning Martha or using Martha and will confirm it all with the raising of Lazarus. So verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that they had already, that he had already, Lazarus, had already been in the tomb for four days. Well, counting them out, there was the first day when the messenger came to him with the news. Well, at that point, we see later on, Jesus realized that when they sent these messengers to Jesus, I don't know how long it took them to get there, but in actuality, Lazarus was already dead. There was the second and third days, those were the two days of delay, and then there is the fourth day. This is the day of his arrival, the days of his teaching, and the day of the miracle. And so again, verses 18 through 20. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. So a couple things to see here. In verse 19, we see the presence of these mourners. This presence of these mourners are further evidence of the death of this man. Now, just think of somebody who would have been sick to the point that he's dead. That person would be, obviously, very sick. Now, there's been people say, well, he was sick and he was just revived. If somebody is that sick and they go four days without food, four days without water, there's just no way that they're going to survive that. And so really the point is being made that this man is dead. He is physically expired. There's no doubt about that. They all realized it. These mourners were at the house. Uh, who were these mourners? Don't really know Particularly, it was a custom that there were professional mourners of that day, people who were paid to, to mourn. I don't know why you would really have that done, but that was a reality. Um, I don't think Martha and Mary would have hired them. Maybe somebody hired them just as an act of compassion. But probably, I really believe they were just simply friends of the family. But since they're referred to as Jews, 
they're not believers. They're more than likely not believers. Secondly, we see a picture of the sting and the finality of death in that the sisters needed this comfort. They were not expecting Jesus to bring Lazarus back. Never were they expecting him to raise Lazarus from the dead. It just simply speaks of the finality of death. I go over to my mother's house. She still lives in the house. My father died in 1999, February of 1999. My mother still lives in the same house. I go over there, and I still kind of halfway expect my dad to be there. Kind of still have, I mean, I don't expect it, you know, but you have to get past that sometimes. You know, expect him to be sitting in his chair or whatever. You know, there's just the finality of death. He's He's just gone, and, and, and that, that's just so hard to perceive. And I think part of that is that's not how we were created. We weren't created to die. It's only because sin entered in that, that death entered in. And so we see the, the tragedy and the finality of death. And so that's what Martha is experiencing. So now again, Martha's this busybody, and she's thinking how things should be, whatever. Jesus is coming, and so Mary, Mary's grieving. There's no doubt about that. But she's content in the will of God. You have Martha who's never content in anything. And so she's going to go give Jesus a piece of her mind. Verse 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They understand to a degree of what Jesus is able to do. They understand from the healings, the nobleman's son, that if he was there, Lord, if you were only here, you could have healed him, and, and, and what she's saying here is, then he wouldn't have died. She's basing this on some of his past miracles. See, Martha believes that if Jesus was there, then everything would be all right. Well, the general rule in Bible interpretation, when Jesus was here physically, he healed physically. Now, he still heals physically today, so don't get me wrong, just biblical interpretation. Now, when Jesus is there spiritually, he hears spiritually. He's doing a work. He's doing a work, just not just about the physical resurrection of this man, Lazarus. People take that today, and they take these things out of proportion. And what I mean is, you see the great healing ministries and all of these things, and most of them have been found fraudulent. It's not about that. It's about what the work that God wants to do in the heart and souls of men and women. And some people he's going to heal, and some people he's not, but he's all doing it for the purposes of ministering to people and bringing people into his kingdom. And again, Martha, he's got designs on Martha. Notice how Martha's quote right here, though, it's kind of in the form of a rebuke. If you would have been here, you know, the idea is, where have you been? We know that this is the beginning of the Lord's teaching in this particular situation, that he is Lord over sickness, disability, life, but again, importantly, death. It's what sets our philosopher apart, and so much more than just a philosopher, but he has delivered a philosophy to us. He is a philosopher as well. Our philosopher apart from any other philosopher. You know, just thinking of that man Socrates that we prayed for. Socrates, the Socrates that we all think of, he had, thought he had figured out the meaning of life and death. And, and, and he's looked at with great respect even today in his readings and, or in his writings and our readings and, and whatnot. But he never could figure out death. Any philosopher that has ever existed has never been able to figure out death. John Lennon, philosopher of well, at least the age of those who were around in the 60s, imagine. That's the best thing that he could do is imagine. He knows now 
but the best he could do then is imagine. But the problem was he died. So many people looked up to him and looked to him, but he died. When he shot, he was just a man. And again, everybody, sooner or later, same thing is going to happen. I did a funeral last, uh, last Thursday. We're doing one this Sunday. Sooner or later, I'm sorry, this Saturday, sooner or later, everybody is going to die. It's just a reality. But the good news is, God meets us at the death of mankind. All those other philosophers could only meet us at our lives and try to interpret that. But again, they all fell into despair at the point of death. Death never made any sense to them at all. And again, you see how all of human philosophies were all rolled up. If you have an opportunity to read it, Acts chapter 17. These guys were in the marketplace, the philosophers of the day, and they're just looking for some kind of scrap, something to grab onto, something that's going to make sense of it all. And they were there just in case somebody came up with some good idea, something new. Why would they need something new? Because all of the old stuff, it didn't work. And then came Paul, and what did Paul preach? Paul preached the resurrection. Paul was meeting them where they are at. Jesus meets us where we are at. Jesus meets us at the point of despair. And so, he, he is the resurrection. And verses 38 through 44 is going to be an illustration of the things that he is saying here to Martha. So in verse 21, we see two areas of doubt that relate to us, two areas of doubt that Martha has concerning the Lord. First is ability. She has doubts of his ability. And second is based upon location. First, the ability of the Lord. Again, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In essence, Martha is saying that Jesus could have healed him, but now it's just too late. Again, the finality of death. It's just too late. It's all over. Her mind, if you had been here four days ago, you could have done something, but now... Well, you're just here for a funeral. Actually, he missed the funeral because he was even already in the tomb. So she's telling Jesus that his timing is off. We're told in Proverbs 16.9, A man's heart plans his ways, but a Lord, the Lord directs the steps. We don't get a vote in the will of God. And God's got a you know, again, we saw in verse 4, God's got a will in this life of this man, Lazarus. He's got a will in the death of this man, Lazarus. And then he has a will in the resurrection. Again, we'll see in chapter 12, this man, Lazarus. And so God's plan in this man's life is being worked out. God's will in all of humanity. And I'm not saying that as humanity singular. I'm saying it in plural, every single person. Or God is a personal God. And so he's doing a work in each one of our lives, in the people who are sick and the people who aren't, people who are healthy. He's doing a work from all aspects, and we have to submit our will to the Lord's will. And so God wanted his people to know from the beginning that walking by sight or a walk based upon our knowledge is detrimental. It was the Jews' problem in the wilderness, and it can be our problem today. Look at the election. You see, and I'm just saying third party, and I I know all of the issues, I know the reasons why you should vote for this person and not vote for that person, but I'm just saying, if you look at a third party, you're thinking, this country's a mess. Look at the viciousness there. Look at the talking heads. Look at the, the insults that come. Look at the corruption that exists, and look at all of this stuff, but you know what? 
God's going to work it all out. Because God always works it out. Never is there going to be a time that God doesn't work it out. Now, sometimes he worked it out by bringing Israel into Babylonian captivity. Sometimes he works it out by allowing a situation to fester and, and then foster his will through that. And so, again, I have to be of the mindset that the Lord, as he does a work, I always enter into the work that he's doing. So regardless of what's going on, I do need to seek the will of God. I do need to vote. I do need to be proactive in these things. But again, sooner or later, God's will is going to come to fruition. So she limits God by his ability. She limits the Lord by his ability. She also limits him by location. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, and implying that he could not have acted from where he was. So, when Jesus first heard, verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he understood what was going on. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then later on, as his disciples weren't understanding what was going on, verse 14, Lazarus is dead. Now, this was back on that first day. He knew that Lazarus had died on the day that he died. Even the messengers didn't understand that, and so he had this word of knowledge of what has already transpired. So again, God's doing this work. He's working it out. Even though Christ wasn't there, he understood what had happened. He didn't need to be there to see the dead body. And if he had desired, if it was the will of God to heal that man, that man could have been healed even long distance. What did the nobleman or the centurion said? Lord, you don't need to come. It's all you need to do is speak your words, and my son will be healed. And what did Jesus say to that man? That, he turned to his disciples and said, that's a man of great faith. What did that man have faith in? He had faith in the words of God. Even though Christ was not in the presence of that man's child, nonetheless, he knew if Jesus would just speak the words, then his child would be healed. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, is that story. And you can just see that, God, uh, that Christ saw this great faith. He says, not even in Israel have I seen faith such as this. I have not seen Christ. Christ is not physically, as far as what I can see, with me. But I'm very confident, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But here... I'm separated. There is that separation, although Christ does dwell inside of me. And so, you know, kind of stay with me here. I can't physically see Christ like I see that mic stand. But I know wherever he is at, he's able to work in my life. I mean, if I didn't believe that, why even pray? Why pray? Why read God's word? Why seek after him? How could I possibly comfort anybody who's going through anything difficult? But as I understand that he doesn't have to be sitting right there physically where me, I'm able to see, he's able to do so much, I do seek him out. And so even while he was here in this physical form, he didn't need to be there. The centurion understood this. Martha, Martha had yet to realize these things. Verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. The faith she exhibits here stops short of his ability to resurrect from the dead. If you turn the page, I have to turn in my Bible, but anyway, go to verse 39. It says, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead for four days. So she's basically saying, he's hopelessly dead. But Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? 
And so the, the point I'm trying to make here in verse 22, she kind of comes around because she's in the presence of the Lord hearing the words of God, but she still doesn't fully believe yet. Verse uh, 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. What she's doing is, it's a term that we would use, over-spiritualizing the situation. She's not understanding the physical ability for Christ to work in our physical lives this day. Yeah, I know that, you know, that he heals, I know all of this stuff, but he's probably not going to do it. But I, I know further on down the line that the day I die, then yeah, I will go and be with him, and there's always that day, but there's never today. We have a God of today. We have a God that's wanting to move in your life right now. Maybe not how you want him to, but he have, we have a God that all of the details, that's how all things can work together for the good, that God looks down and desires to work in our lives, that we would be open to the movement of the Lord and understanding all that he's able to do. Majority of the Christians, they serve an abstract God. They serve an abstract God that they can't hear him, they can't see him, so he's out there. One day I will go be with them. I'm not saying they're not believers, but they don't understand the reality of God who thinks of them, who keeps their tears in a bottle, who's there hanging on every word of every prayer, who will never leave them or forsake them the reality of a personal God. They don't have that, and those people, they're small gods. I mean, the best they can think is, or try to understand, that God either cannot nor will he work in their lives. But then you have what is a minority of Christians today. It's the biblical God who works as obvious today as he ever did, just as obvious in our lives today as he did during biblical times. He hasn't used evolution or anything else, doesn't need any human intellectual help, But what he said in his word is the things that he has done, the things that he does do, and the things that he will do. That God doesn't just work day by day in our lives, God works moment by moment. When when you come to that understanding and that realization, then God is always large in your life. He's always large. And if you come to that realization, you're going to be giving all things in prayer and supplication. Because you know that he's there, you know that he's willing to do a work in your life, and you know that he hears your prayer. You know that you have that one-on-one time with God at all times. That'll keep you praying without ceasing. Point being is, there's so many Christians that marvel at the God of the Old Testament, the New Testament, the book of Revelation, and all of these things. They'll omit his ability to save today, but they'll sell him short in the area of relationship. The area of relationship. See, use my marriage, your marriage as an example. Terry is real in my life. She's real. It's the beauty of marriage. She's real every single day in my life. Now, I shouldn't say every single day, because last weekend she went away. She left me for three days. Monday, Tuesday, and came back to me Tuesday or Wednesday, because she couldn't stand to be away from me any longer. But it's those times when the heart grows fonder, because you realize that which you take for granted. You realize so much of having that person there, having not just somebody there, but having that person there. Now, again, God's never going to go away, but sometimes we do. 
And when we do, we realize the relationship that we have and we understand that as I, I turn away from God, I'm missing out on so much in the right here and the right now. My brother, my brother's kind of a tightwad. And he found out, his wife used to work for Nobby's, that's a woman's store. But it used to be something else before that when she worked there. And I think she was a manager. Anyway, she participated in the profit sharing. And they took a little bit of her check and then um, and put it, I think, in stocks. Yeah, they did. They put it in stocks. And she didn't understand all that. It just sounded like a good idea at the time and did it. And then she quit and they got married and so on and so forth. Well, that company, whatever it was called at the time, sold out to this bigger company. And, you know, they went in all the malls and the whole thing. And one day, my brother, this was maybe 10 years after the fact, he's getting his taxes done. And the guy who's doing his taxes, what about this? And what about what? What about these stocks? What stocks? I don't have any stocks. Yeah, you got this stock. It was from your wife's profit sharing. Uh, how much is there? $16,000. He had $16,000. He didn't know. But the funny thing about it, <laughs> I shouldn't say that, but it was. Funny thing about it, we were over at my brother's, and you had $16,000? Well, because it, it was, remember when Black Friday occurred? I think it was Black Friday or Black Monday, Monday. I don't remember. But the stock market kind of went in this big crash thing. It was in the 80s. And my brother lost like half, he lost like $8,000 overnight. Kevin, you just lost like half your, shut up, I know. So he didn't know about it, but once he had it, and then he lost it, that was really hard for him. And, but we can't lose God. But do you know that you have God? Because if you don't know you have it, what really good did it do him? What good does it do us if we don't understand that we serve a God of today, of the right here and the right now? Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, obviously, he doesn't change, but he relates to us as well through all of those times. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. You say he's going to be resurrected, but the reason he's going to be resurrected, in essence, what Christ is saying, is because of me. And Martha, I'm here, right here, right now. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, Jesus meets her where she is at. She rebuked Christ, but notice Christ doesn't rebuke her. He, he seeks to strengthen the little bit of faith that she has. It's what we see in the scriptures, that the Lord will use mustard seed faith in order to grow something big and something strong. He simply speaks the truth of himself. It's the essence of ministering Christ. You go into a situation where people are grieving. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. Seems like anything that you have to offer is not going to be enough. Just give them Jesus, because that's what Christ did. He just gave of himself. He just spoke of who he is. We just speak of who he is. Now, this isn't just a New Testament concept. It's the way it's been from the beginning. In the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time, Michael, speaking of Michael the archangel, shall stand up, the great prince who stands which um, watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who's found written in the book of life. And many of those, he's speaking of in times and the resurrection, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. 
Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The resurrection of man, you can look in in Job chapter 19. It's there. It's a reality. And now Jesus stands before this woman in all of her doubts and says, I am the resurrection. But what he says a little bit later is even more profound. He asks, do you believe in this? All of mankind is going to have to answer that question. Do you believe? Do you really believe? Do you believe down to the core of who you are? And really, the only time you're really to give a true test of that is at the point of death. Is Jesus the resurrection and the life? Is he the resurrection and the life in your life? And even as he asked Martha, do you believe it? Do you believe it? It will be proven on the day of your death. It'll be proven at that point. And Jesus, well, that's where he's meeting Martha. That's where he's willing to meet us all. Verse 26, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He ends his statement with a question. What he does not ask is, what do you think? Do you feel better now? Or how are you now? It's the essence of every Christian funeral. To look death in the face and continue to believe in Jesus Christ. She responds, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now you see the whole reason for this delay of love. It had to be pointed out in verse 5 that Jesus loved these people. But it's because he loved these people that he delayed. So those four days, they're there. Where's Jesus? Does he really love us? Where is he at? As I'm going through this most difficult time in all of my life, is he really there? Does Does he really hear us? Matter of fact, the messengers have come back. They said they told them and still, no Jesus. And you think of the second day. Think of the third day. And think of the fourth day. And then again, you can see Martha. Okay, he's finally here. Great. Where's he at? Let me go talk to him. And, and she, she came and apparently rebuked him. But his delay was a delay of love. Because there's more, something more important here. It's the salvation of this woman. Lazarus, we were told specifically that this was a purpose, that his death was not intended by God to be permanent, obviously. But as far as Martha, her life is permanent. And as I've said so many times, in our permanent life, as everybody's going to be resurrected, it's a matter of location, location, location. Are you going to be in the presence of the Lord, or is it going to be outer darkness? God allows the things of our life, and especially the tragedies, for his reasons and his purposes. At the moment, you're not going to get all of the information. You're not going to understand everything. But the only thing that we know is that he is God. And the only thing I know is that God loves me. The only thing that I know is that Christ died so that we can have eternal life. And sometimes that just has to be enough. We're a people, we live in an information age, and we want to know all the information. Sometimes you just don't get it all. But what am I talking about? I'm talking about the basics of faith. The just shall live by faith. Father, as your word tells us that, the just shall live by faith. What we need to see is, yes, we've got to have faith, but we shall live. We shall live. Even though we die, we shall live. And so, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that the death of your saints is something very precious in your sight. 
and you plan it, and you have purpose for it. And so, Father, we do mourn. There's no doubt about that. And it's going to hurt, that's for sure. But we do not mourn as those who have no hope. And so, Father, we see the love that you're displaying in so many different fronts. We see the love that you have for Lazarus and that you are going to raise him from the dead. He's going to be resurrected. It's a picture of our resurrection. And then there's Martha, Lord. Your designs were upon that woman. And even then, she doesn't fully understand, but she's about to get a lesson that we'll see in the next chapter has altered her life and altered her service. And so, Father, continue to minister to us. May we understand, Lord, that you are the God of today. You are the God of right now. And just because you don't go according to our will does not mean that you don't love us, doesn't mean that you don't care for us, and does not mean that you're not working in our lives. Father, help us to see as you see. Lord, help us to understand as you understand. But, Father, in the times when there's just nothing, Lord, just strengthen our faith and enable us, Lord, just to trust during those times. And so, Father, as these are realities in all of our lives, we just thank you for your word that guides us in the midst of us. Enable us, Lord, in these hard things to be ministered to, but also to be those people who minister in return, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? Um, As I said, we're going to be having a, really, a memorial service here on on Saturday. We're going to need to set up some tables and stuff, so if anybody's able to stay and help, usually takes about 15 or 20 minutes to roll the tables out. It usually goes pretty quick. We're not breaking, we're going to break some of the chairs down. Sal's going to kind of direct all that, but the majority of the chairs are going to be stayed set up, and we're just going to set up in the back. So if there's anybody that can help, we'd appreciate it. At least Sal would appreciate it. Um, I'd appreciate it if you would. And just keep it up in prayer. Sally's sister had passed away, and we're going to be having the services here uh, Saturday at 1 o'clock. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of the week.